So a friend of mine made this Bible with a crimson cord running through it, and it's a powerful illustration. This idea that a crimson cord runs through all of Scripture from the first pages in Genesis to the last pages in Revelation. And so in one sense, you could say this represents the life of Christ, that back in Genesis 3, right after the fall, a son was promised, a new Adam that would deliver God's people from the curse of sin. And some have called the life of Christ the hinge of history. And we're here today to celebrate the beginning of the turning of that hinge, with the advent and the nativity, and that takes us through the life of Christ to the resurrection of Christ. And everything that follows was set in motion by everything that we celebrate today. We're in the fourth Sunday of Advent this morning. As Pastor Zach mentioned, we'll have our Christmas Eve service tonight, and so you're all welcome to return for that. But we've been focusing during our Advent uh, series on a kingdom Christmas. It's been an annual theme for us to focus on the kingdom of God. And throughout Advent, we've been focusing on what is different about the hope, the peace, the joy, the love of Christmas that we celebrate at Advent in view of God's kingdom. There's so much that you can say about all of these things, about hope, about peace, about joy, about love. My goal has been to focus on what's different about the kingdom expressions of these. And so in week one, we talked about kingdom hope and how kingdom hope is built on kingdom promises and God never breaks his promises. Then we looked at kingdom peace and how Jesus came to be our peace and that kingdom peace is perfect, permanent peace. The world's peace is often partial and temporary, but kingdom peace is perfect, permanent peace. And then last week we looked at kingdom joy and the idea that kingdom joy is found in the glory of God and giving glory to God. And the glory of God is all around us. It's available to us at any moment, and we can give glory to God for the grace that has been given to us at any time. And so today, we light the fourth candle of Advent, the love candle. And we'll set our sights on kingdom love and how kingdom love is different than the love that this world Offers. This has been called the angel's candle, but I want to invite you to go with me out of the Christmas narrative, the nativity narrative this morning into Colossians chapter 1. The Christmas narrative is quite familiar and it will be in full view tonight as we look at the stories and the scriptures and the songs that point us to that. But this morning, I want to look at some of the outcomes of Advent, some of the things that came into the world and that made their way into the world as this kingdom love spread and was taken into the world around Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Now, there are many outcomes of Advent, there are many outcomes of Christmas, but this passage that we're going to look at from Colossians chapter 1 really hits home and it puts a bow on our annual theme and our kingdom Christmas series in a powerful way. 
If you need a Bible, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. If you're visiting or, or you're in the room and you just don't have a Bible in your hands and you'd like to have one, reach into the seats in front of you, grab a Bible. You can turn to page 1831. If you're joining us online, either live or at some point in the future, we're so glad that you found us. These scriptures will all be on the screen behind me. But I want to begin by reading verse 13 and 14. When I was in journalism class in high school, they said, don't bury the lead. Like, get the point across quickly. So here's the point. The main thing is the main thing. And I want you to hear this, and then we're going to actually back up and walk through the passage that precedes it. But in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul writes to this church that he had helped plant in Colossae, and he says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. You see, this is why Christmas matters so much, because at Christmas, the beginnings of that great deliverance from the dominion of darkness began. And through the events set in motion on Christmas, we could be brought into the kingdom of the Son He loves. We could have the redemption and the forgiveness of sins that Paul is talking about. Without Christmas, every single one of us would still be in the dominion of darkness. As Ephesians 2, which we referenced earlier in this series, said we were without hope and without God in the world. That was the eternal destiny of everyone until Christmas. And so, now he has rescued us. Now the Savior who is Christ the world has brought us into a new kingdom, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son he loves, where there is redemption and forgiveness of sins. Short sermon, huh? But wait, there's more. There's a lot more, actually. And maybe you noticed in verse 13, it says, For he has rescued us. That for is sort of like a because, and it points back to the preceding 10 verses where Paul lays out the gospel in such a beautiful and complete way. And I want to walk through that this morning. And I'm going to do it just kind of one chunk at a time. And so if you'll look up into chapter 1 to verse 3, I want to look at verses 3 through 6 here first and, and see that he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. He's writing to a church that he had helped plant, a church that he's praying for. He says, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood it in all God's grace and truth. And so he's talking here about faith and love. He talks about the faith that they have, the faith that they have placed in Christ, the love that they have for all the saints, for the church, for the people around the world, faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for them in heaven. This points us to the kingdom promises that we started this series talking about back at the beginning of the month. 
that there are kingdom promises that we can hang our hat on. There is hope. There is faith and love that spring from that hope. You see, faith is the belief. It's the trust. It's the dependence upon God and upon His promises. It's saying we believe that the promises that you have made will come to pass. And love, then, is the resulting actions of our faith. That faith placed in Christ compels us to love others on Christ's behalf. You see, it's not just feelings. Kingdom love is an active love. It's not mere sentimentality. It's agape love, self-sacrificing surrender, unconditional love. That's the love that Paul is talking about. You see, God didn't just feel something for us. He didn't just think something about us. He did something for us. He did something for us in sending His Son. His Son did something for us in rescuing us from eternity apart from Him. Rescuing us from the dominion of darkness and bringing us into the kingdom of light. And so, at the end there of verse 6... To hear and to understand God's grace and all its truth is to believe and respond. If you haven't believed and responded, you haven't heard and understood it. Because to truly hear and understand the gospel, the message of God's grace, is to believe it. It is to respond to it. That is why faith and love are celebrated by Paul here. It's to believe. It's to respond. He continues in verse 7 and 8. He says, you learned all this. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Now, this seems almost like an aside, but you see faith and love popping up in these two verses again, that Epaphras is a faithful servant. And Epaphras not only taught them, but he came back and shared the good news that they had received the message. They were loving one another. And so they learned the gospel. They learned this message from Epaphras, and they will teach it to others as well. And that makes me wonder, who did you learn it from? If you're here today as a believer in Jesus Christ, who did you learn the good news from? Who taught you? And who will you share it with? Or who have you shared it with? particularly recently. Who have you taught recently the good news? I know in my case, I learned it from John Spear about 22 years ago. I had a a foundation that was laid growing up, but when I was 19 years old, I finally understood God's grace in all its truth, and I responded to that by putting my faith in it and by beginning to learn what it means to live a life of love. And now I tell people all the time, and you might be saying, well, of course you do, Mark. You're, you're a pastor. Well, I would say if you're not a pastor, that's not a problem. There's nothing that says you have to be a pastor to share your faith, to tell people, to teach people. It doesn't say that Epaphras was a pastor, full-time vocational. It just says he was a faithful servant. And so if you're not a pastor, that's not a problem. The only question is, do you believe and do you love? Do you believe and put your faith and hope and trust in God? And do you love people enough to tell them the good news? of the gospel. And so before we move on, I I wonder who will you tell? Who will learn it from you and who will tell others of your love that they have seen firsthand? 
Now, verses 9 through 12 are sort of the meat of this, and you're going to get a bullet point list and everything out of that, because there's a lot going on here in verse 9 through 12. You see, Paul starts to lay out what he has been praying for. Remember he said they never stopped praying back in verse 3? Well, here's what they've been praying for the people, the church at Colossae. And in these verses, we see why they've been praying, what they've been praying for, and how they can live that out. And so in verse 9, we see what Paul has been praying for. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what they've been praying for, to fill them, that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will. And they would do this through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I think that word spiritual is important because it's not praying that they would have worldly wisdom and understanding, but that their hearts would be open, that their eyes would be open to see as God sees, that their ears would be open to hear his voice, and that they would be filled with the knowledge and the spiritual understanding of God, not just worldly knowledge or worldly wisdom and understanding. And then in verse 10, he gets into why he's praying that why they're praying for God to fill them with the knowledge of his will. And we see that in verse 10. We pray this in order that, in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. We'll pause right there. That's the why. And so if you're grateful for the gifts that you have received from your heavenly father and you want to know what, what's the gift that he would like most back from me, I think this gives us some insight to it, that we would live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. That's why Paul is praying that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will, that they would live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And you might be wondering, how do we do that? Well, there's five different things that are laid out in the next couple of verses that tell us how to live a life worthy of the Lord and to please him in every way. Now, you'll be shocked to see this, but faith and love play a big part of this. That faith You see, Hebrews 11 tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we can't live a life worthy of the Lord and please him without faith. And one of the last things Jesus told his disciples to do was to love one another. In John 13, just before he faces the betrayal and the cross and all that would take place, he said, a new command I give you. I've just given you a new covenant. That new covenant comes with a new command. Love one another. In fact, The standard for your love should be my love for you, as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. And so Paul lays out five things that we can do here to love one another, to live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And I'll tell you, just the Notes version of it, if you'd like to know, is that a life worthy of the Lord is a life of love. A life worthy of the Lord who told us to love one another is a life of love. But there are five things that flesh that out, that tell us what kingdom love looks like. And we see them in verses 10 through 12. So in the second half of verse 10, we see this, bear fruit in every good work. That's the first thing that Paul lists as a way to live a life of love, as a way to live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Jesus talked about this in John 15. He talked about the principle of abiding and that if you abide in me and I abide in you, he said, then you will bear much fruit. You see, fruit bearing was supposed to be a natural thing for every person who is in a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we would bear good fruit, bear fruit in every good work. 
And if you read and study that chapter of John 15, you'll see there's three levels. There's bear fruit, bear much fruit, and then at the end it says bear fruit that will remain. That as we grow with Christ, as we go with Christ, our fruit bearing grows and the consistency of it grows and the legacy of it grows. One of our core values here at Linwood is to leave a legacy of faith that as we become believers of Jesus Christ, as our mission gets accomplished, we reach people for Christ, give them a place to belong, help them grow in their faith, then we could live a legacy of faith. As we become disciples, we begin to make disciples, that we would bear fruit in every good work, much fruit, fruit that remains. Now, the second thing that Paul lists there in the last phrase of verse 10 is growing in the knowledge of God. Now, I kind of pointed to this, that as our abiding in Christ continues and becomes more consistent and becomes a deeper and richer fellowship that we have with him, we will grow in the knowledge of God. We will keep growing. And this points back to verse 9, where Paul prayed that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And so this is not like a one-time filling, like, oh, I just pray that it'll happen. And now you're full forever. Does eating work that way? No, it doesn't. I think this has more to do with being consistently filled, consistently growing in the knowledge that even though we were filled in verse 9, that we would continue to metabolize God's will, metabolize that knowledge, that we would take what we have received and incorporate it into our lives, that we would begin to discern what we're to do with that and begin to apply it to our lives. And that once we do that, then we go back and we get some more. And we metabolize that. And we discern God's will for that. And we apply that we would continue to grow in the knowledge of God. Now in verse 11, he gives us the next two. And so the third thing that we can see here that we can do to live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way is to be strengthened with all power through his glorious might. This is really good news, and I find it interesting that it's right at the middle of this, that it's in the heart of this, because we're not on our own in this. And what, the last thing I would want you to do is walk out here and say, I went to church on Christmas Eve, and I got a list of five things to do, and I have no idea how to do them. But if we're walking with the Spirit, if we're learning what it means to do all of these things, if we're growing in that spiritual strength and power that he wants us to have, we would remember we're not on our own and that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That he's there for us and that he longs to be in relationship with us. And so may we be strengthened with all power and when we get weak we come back to him for more strength, more power according to his glorious might. And we remind ourselves often that he who is in us is greater and that I must decrease and he must increase, as John the Baptist said. Now the final half of verse 11 gives us the fourth thing that we can do. We can have great endurance and patience. We can have great endurance and patience as we're strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. There's a so that, so that you may have great endurance and patience. This would be a life worthy of the Lord, a life that doesn't quit, doesn't give up, a life that is marked by both great endurance and patience. You might think, well, what's the difference? Because apparently we're going to need both. And there's two different words there. The first one there, when we talk about great endurance, that's the Greek word hupomeno. It means to bear up courageously under suffering. That's literally what it means. It's like a word picture, to come under. 
and to endure, even though it's difficult, even though there's opposition. To bear up courageously is to endure. And so patience is this really cool Greek word, macrothumia, that is literally smashing two different words together, long and passion. Macro and passion come together. And that's what patience is. It's a long passion. It's an ongoing passion. It's not a passion that wanes. It's not a passion that gets discouraged, but it's a passion that has grown in the knowledge of God and been strengthened with all power according to his glorious might and has great endurance and patience. We must remember this is a marathon, not a sprint, that we continue and we walk with Jesus and we abide in Jesus and we keep in pace, in step with the Spirit. And last but certainly not least, in verse 12, we joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. You see, joy and gratitude are our response to what God has done. Joyfully giving thanks is our response to the gospel. It's our response to what God has done in us and what God wants to do through us. And it's fascinating to me because joy and gratitude have the same root word. It's the same root word. It's also the root word of grace. And so they feed off of each other as we receive God's grace. We rejoice in that grace. We give thanks to God for that grace. And we joyfully give thanks to him. Because we share in an inheritance with the saints in the kingdom of light. There it is. The glory of God that is the context for joy. As we talked about last week, as I mentioned earlier, that kingdom of light is a kingdom of glory. And so now you know what the for at the beginning of verse 13 is there for. Now you know, for he has rescued us. From the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. That's what kingdom love looks like. That's what kingdom love looks like. It's, it's bearing fruit. It's growing in the knowledge of God. It's being strengthened in His power. It's having great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to Him. That's what kingdom love looks like when it's working in us and it's working its way out through us. And the four tells us why. The four tells us that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. There it is. The son he loves. The son who loves us. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. You want to know what the bottom line today is? If you're a note taker, you might want to write this down, that love permeates the king, his kingdom, and his subjects. Love permeates the king. It permeates his kingdom, and it is to permeate us, his subjects. And so the crimson cord that runs through all of Scripture is not just the life of Christ, the prophecy fulfilled, the hinge of history, but it's love. It's this God who is love, where love is the fullest expression of his nature. That is the cord that runs through all of Scripture. It's love. It's kingdom love. You see, the king, we're told God is love in 1 John chapter 4. That love is the purest expression of God's divine nature. And that God existed in unbroken fellowship 
with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect love for eternity past and into eternity into the future. So love permeates the king. Love permeates his kingdom. You see, the rule and reign of God, that is his kingdom. It's way, way beyond a political kingdom. It's, it's the rule and reign of God. It's where his authority is in existence. It's where his will is done. And the kingdom is saturated, permeated with kingdom love. His rule and his reign is a rule and reign of love. That brings us to us, to you and to me, to his subjects. If we are subjects of the kingdom, if we have pledged allegiance to the king, we are to love one another. Because Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's the litmus test. And so as his subjects, his love must permeate our lives as well. And so that's why kingdom love is different than the world's love. Worldly love is often just kind of throwing a boomerang out there. I'm going to scratch your back and you're going to scratch my back. I'll do for you if you do for me. And we end up in these 50-50 relationships that fail about half the time. But kingdom love, kingdom love is a love that says, I'm going to I'm going to love you whether you love me or back or not. I'm going to love you and sacrifice myself for you. I'm going to seek to exemplify divine love, pure, holy, perfect love, that it would flow into my life and out of my life. That's why kingdom love is better than worldly love. And that's why we need a relationship with God, a moment-by-moment -moment relationship where we are in relationship with Christ and He is living in us and the Spirit is leading us through life so that His love can flow into our lives and out through our lives to the people around us, that they may come to know, that they may hear the good news, that they may be rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son He loves. And so as we respond, as we prepare to respond, it's a robust joy to the world. It'll be a wonderful way to end this worship service. But I want you to think about the final phrase of verse 3. Where we talk about Christ coming to the world and we sing of the wonders of his love. That's you. That's me. We are or can be the wonders of his love. That's our king. That's our kingdom. That's what he does. He loves. He loves us. He loves us more than we can imagine. And he wants that love to work itself into us and permeate us and flow out into the world around us through us. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this crimson cord that runs through all of Scripture, through your word given to us. We thank you that you loved us enough to create us, that you loved us enough to reveal yourself to us. We thank you that you loved us enough to send us a savior, to deliver us from the dominion of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of the son you love. Lord, for those that are here in the sanctuary or those who are listening, that are still in that dominion of darkness, I pray, God, that your spirit would illuminate their life, their heart, their mind, that they would be able to see and understand the depth of your love for them, 
the sacrifice that you made for them and the desire that you have for them to come out of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the son you love. I pray that they would respond in faith, that they would confess their sins, that they would invite your forgiveness, that they would commit to a life of love, learning from you how to live like you. And for those of us who are in the kingdom of the son you love this Christmas, I pray, God, that you would be bringing people to mind, people who need to know what we know and need to hear what we have heard, need to understand what we have understood. Help us to be faithful with the message. Help us to share the gift with others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.